And I want to talk to you about the story that we've just seen, the story of the wise men. Even if you've been in church all of your days, even if you were raised in church, there were the idea and the cutesiness and the animation probably makes you think that this story, the story of the wise men, the fact that it's written in a really old book, probably it's not got anything for you. It's not got any meaning for you. You're probably thinking, I've got some really big things going on at Christmas. I'm just desperate for a break. My credit card's desperate for a break. I just, my social life, life needs to start and kick in. I've, these, are, these are my issues. These are my problems. This ancient story is not going to have anything really for me. It's not going to give me anything. Um, so just bear with me a few minutes. I think there's, there's some treasure in this story that will change how we see Christmas. It'll help us to experience Christmas better, the gift of Christmas better, but it'll, it'll help us experience the gift of life better too. So two lessons from the wise men. I'll be super quick. You won't have to worry. But here's the two lessons. To, and maybe, maybe you know about this. I'll explain them a little bit later. To get the best gift, you've got to appreciate the backstory of the gift and the giver. To get the best gift, to appreciate the gift for it to mean the most, for it to have the most worth and the most value, you've got to know a little bit about the backstory of the giver. And to give the best gift, that's the first one, to give the best gift, you've got to know the person that you're giving it to. Two things the wise men will teach us. I want to tell you a little bit about the wise men before we kick on any further. First of all, so it's a couple of things just so you're on page. First thing is that they're from the east. Now you might think that that's just lazy geography, as, they, as the Bible records it as being from the east, but it's, it's not. Actually, this carries some weight. If you've spent any time in Scotland, you'll know that they refer to people in England as people from the south, though often say England. And it carries some weight, it carries some meaning. And the people in Jerusalem talked about the people from the east, because the people in the east had an identity. They were the Babylonian empires. They were the Assyrian empires that had come over and wiped them out. These were the pagan people. You might say that these were the baddies, and it's possible as well. So we remember the three wise men. I don't, even, I don't even think we had one wise man in our nativity. We're just taking a different turn on it. But we often remember the three wise men, don't we? And we often see them on the camels. I've done a bit of digging around. It's possible that they came on the camels. It was a long way. But it's probable there were more than three. And it's pretty possible they were on horses, like white horses. You had these guys rocking up into Jerusalem on white horses. I think when we read the story, I'd, I'd, if three guys walked into Cass on camels, three wise men, I think that would probably cause a bit of a stir. Probably not so much in Jerusalem, but imagine the magi, the wise men, if there's 20, 30, 40, 50 of them, if they're on camels perhaps from this pagan country. That's why I think the Bible says they caused a stir because we wouldn't, Jerusalem wouldn't be used to seeing this kind of thing. It's really, I've been trying to identify the wise men to put a handle on the wise men. And it's a bit like trying to give, I think I'm saying his name right, Fred Siru, the guy off of First Dates. Have you ever stopped to think about, has anyone watched First Dates? Am I saying his name right? Have you ever tried to identify his job? Try and think about, he's, on the one hand, he's got a fashion range. On the other hand, he stands at the front of a restaurant and welcomes people in. And on the other hand, he writes children's books. I can't, how do you get that kind of a job? 
identifying the wise men is a little bit like that. We've got the idea of the magi. So if you look in your Bibles and read the story, they're always, as, as, the, as the different Bibles have come out, they're written differently. We've got the idea of the magi that comes from our word magic. You can imagine these guys going around needling with the dark arts, with potions, that kind of thing. But not only are they magicians, they were astrologers and astronomers as well. These were guys who looked up to the stars, as pretty much everybody did in these times, for direction but also looked up to the stars for meaning as well. But there was another string to these guys' bows. Another thing that they did was that they searched the Scriptures. This is a weird coming together of things to do, to be an astrologer and an astronomer and a magician, and yet to be somebody who searches the Scriptures. But that's what these guys did. There's some texts that we can assume that they're looking through. We know from history and from our Bible, that God's people spent some time in the East. They were pulled out of their own country and they spent some time there. If you read in your Bible the stories of Daniel and people like that, they opened up their Bibles. So they would have had access to these scriptures. I don't know what else they were reading, but they had access to scriptures like this in Numbers 24, 17. Listen to this. See if this adds any more color to the story of the wise men. This is a prophecy in Numbers 124. Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Listen to this. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Then there's this prophecy in Isaiah that these wise men would have been searching around and digging through. Isaiah 9, verse 2. It's a familiar story at Christmas time. A people walking in darkness have will see a great light, a child born, a son given, that will rule with justice. They'd been searching through the scriptures and they were like, we're going to have to go. The time is right for us to journey. Now, I, as I think about this, as I think about this as a guy who sometimes has to, has to explain his job, I think, I think, how did these guys get away with this trip? I just kind of stop and imagine them trying to rationalize it to their wives. These are guys who every day stare at the stars and search the scriptures and come up with magic portions. I've got quite a weird picture in my mind. And they turn around and say, we're heading off on a journey. It's going to be about 400 miles. Their wives give it, how long is that going to be? They say, well, we do. how long is a piece of string? And yet off they go on this journey, following this star, and they get to Jerusalem. So we're in verse 4 and 6 now. That sort, of, that sort of part of the text. They go to the Jerusalem. Why do they go to Jerusalem? It's the capital city. They're looking for a king. This is where you go. They're heading to the capital. They get there, but they don't find, they don't find a king that's been prophesied about. They don't see a king that brings justice, that brings love and peace. They find, who do they find? We didn't even have him either. Mad King Herod. And they take one look at him and they say, this can't be the king that we're looking for. He's not going to bring any peace. And do you notice how they get over the line in verse 4 to 6? God's word is opened up. They've gotten to the capital. They've gotten close. They've gotten close to where this babe's going to be born. But it's God's word, prophecy, opened up that says, you guys are going to need to head to Bethlehem. But 
But do you notice who doesn't go? Who doesn't get there? Um, Herod calls together his wise men, his version, his religious leaders, and they say, that's where the, that's where the babe's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. But they don't go. And then, as the story develops, as these wise men, these magi, head off to Bethlehem, they have what can only be described as a glorious, awesome, beautiful encounter that has shaped history, that has shaped the world as we see it. These magi, these wise men searching for this star, obsessed with this scripture, certain that they're going to find a baby, bump into this couple, Mary and Joseph, who've had this crazy, wonderful, beautiful encounter with these angels and said that this baby that Mary's carrying is going to change the whole of history. And what happens? These wise men travel halfway across the known world and they find it. And they fall down in worship and give them their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What does this story tell us? Two things that the wise men give us that I think can change our Christmas around, can make it better, can change our gift, the gift of life around for us. Here's the first thing. To get the best gift, you've got to appreciate the backstory of the giver. To really own the best gift, for it to mean the most to you, you've got to, you've got to spend some time thinking about the backstory of the giver. I have, I have a bit of a problem when I buy gifts because I live really close to the outlet. And if you, and my dad's uh, joined us, if you, if you get a gift from me for Christmas and my wife's always here with us at church, if you get a gift from me and it's from the outlet, there is a, you know, you're going to think probably, oh man, that's Ash, he's, he's crossed over the road and he's got a gift. Now, even if I spend hundreds and thousands of pounds on a gift from there, it's not going to mean as much as if I, if, if I give a gift that I've thought about for months, that, that has been based on maybe my wife or even my dad saying, oh, I really like this. When you know, when you know the backstory of the gift, it adds value and treasure to it, doesn't it? If that backstory's got meaning, the backstory of the kings, the gifts from the kings, is a critical backstory for us. There's a literary device going on in verse 1 and 2. I don't know if the tech team could put verse 1 and 2 on. The guy that wrote about this Christmas story, Matthew, uh, verse 1 and 2 of Matthew, he's contrasting two characters. He's contrasting Herod on the one hand, and he's contrasting the wise men on the other. You've got this introduction of Herod and these religious leaders. Herod, the king in Jerusalem, if anybody should be finding this Messiah, even though he was mad and he was crackers, a few hundred years ago, this was King David. The religious leaders, they have, they've got the texts, they've got the know-how, but they don't find him. They don't even go. Who goes? Who finds him? See what the set text is saying to us? You've got these pagan, weird-looking guys who practice magic, guys who found the Savior via looking at the stars. They're the ones that find him. Not the guys who know the 
Bible, not the guys who are religious, not the guys who live in the religious place. In this story, when God speaks, as I think he does in his son, as loud as he has ever spoken, he says to us, he leaves us with a story that says, the guys who you expect to find this, the guys who really ought to find this, don't find it. And the people who you think could never, ever see it, could ever get it, could ever find this baby as the Messiah, it's them that find it. What does this story tell us? What does it tell us? What does the backstory of the kings tell us? It tells us that this gift of Christmas is for everyone. It tells us that it's possible for somebody like, for you good people to have been sat in church all of your lives to be super familiar with the story and still not get to the manger and find the babe that can change the world. And it tells us that people from across the globe who've got no sense of the backstory of Christendom or Christianity, maybe even just wandering into church on a whim, which happens wonderfully all the time, can find him and can find him in a way that can change their lives forever. Do you see what it says? See what the wise men teach us? The gift of Christmas is a gift for everyone. To get Christmas, for it to really mean a lot to you, you've got to get the backstory of the giver. Think about the day that we have. Why do we want this day to be so special? Why do we search for the perfect gift? Why do we hope that we have a meal with all of our family that we love all around about us? Why do we ache when it's not perfect? Why do we put so much weight on this day? Why does the whole world kind of draw its eye to this moment? The backstory of Christmas. Don't let Christmas rush by you without giving it a look. The backstory. Understand the backstory of this gift, the reason that we stop. That's the first thing. The second thing that the wise men tell us is to give the best gift, you need to know the person that you're giving it to. I found myself walking through Wilco's looking for a gift for somebody for less than a tenner. Just like hoping it would just appear to me. I'm on the battery aisle thinking, come on, come to me now, this gift for a tenner. It's not going to ever happen, is it? When you know somebody, when there's a relationship between you and the person that you're giving the gift to, when you go back a bit, when you've got a connection that's outside of the gift, it becomes so much easier. The potential to buy a perfect gift stretches, doesn't it? When you know the person that you're buying for. I often wonder, because the wise men, the magi, they nailed it with the gifts. How did they know? They set off months before. I don't know what to get people months before. Christmas. They set off months before with these gifts. How did they nail it with gold, frankincense, and myrrh? This is, these are weird. Would you want that for Christmas? No. You don't want, yeah, spot on. You don't want that for Christmas. These are weird gifts for a baby, unless, as what happened, the wise men knew something about the person that they were looking for. They knew he was going to be a king, a king that we need. They knew he was going to be a savior. They knew he was going to be the kind of priest that you could talk to. They brought gold, gold that would speak of his worth. Don't know how they hid it. 
how they got it there to him, but they brought gold because he was going to be a worthy king. They brought frankincense because he was going to be a priest. Not like some of the priests that they'd seen. Not like some of the priests that we even see today. This, this guy was going to be a priest who would listen. This guy was going to be a priest who would offer a sacrifice that could really change things for the people offering the sacrifices. They brought myrrh. Myrrh stinks. It really does stink. But it's got incredible health benefits. But the association of myrrh in biblical times was that you'd embalm a dead body in myrrh. This, these wise men brought myrrh because they knew that this baby was going to die a significant death. They brought these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh that we remember now and have become kind of eternal pointers to God. Not because of what they are, but because of who they were for. Now, here's the rub for us. We've all got gifts. Sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But it's really true. We've all got gifts. Even the five minutes you've got right now just to sit down in the warmth is a gift. The roof over your head when you get home as we look around the globe is a bit of a gift. The intelligence that you've got is a gift. The money that you've got access to to decide how to spend is a gift. We all have gifts. When you know what your gifts are for or when you know who your gifts are for, when you use them based on who those gifts are for, gifts become eternal pointers to God when, when they represent him, when they are about him. So the gifts that we have given to us that we benefit from, when we use those gifts born out of the fact that we know that we have a God who loves us or a savior or a babe that comes at Christmas that changes the world, when we give of ourselves with that in mind, they, these gifts don't just evaporate into thin air. They become eternal pointers to a holy God. The meaning of Christmas. God makes himself known. Do you see that in the story? That's what Christmas is. God comes to earth as a babe. He becomes tangible. He becomes touchable. He becomes human becomes fragile, becomes grabbable, becomes hurtable. And as he makes himself known to us, to people, it changes our capacity to give. That's the first thing he does. God makes himself known and he changes our capacity to give. But not only that, we see the way that he gives. And then we get to see the value of what is given. We see in the Christmas story the backstory of the ultimate gift and it changes the way that we value him and it. 